Yesterday we were discussing the words of the Hobot Alevavot Ata Yashen. He says, You could be sleeping. Vehu Erlecha, and he is aware. He's up. Ata Yashen, you might be sleeping. Vehu Erlecha, and he is up for you. So we explained yesterday what does that mean? That you're sleeping and he's awake. So we wanted to tell you yesterday is that Ataya Shen means that you're sleeping spiritually. And I mentioned yesterday that spiritually sleeping means that you're not where you're supposed to be elevating yourself. So no matter where you are spiritually, you're sleeping for the next level. Ataya Shen, you might be sleeping. But he is up. And we explained yesterday, what does that mean? It means that he is already anticipating the moment of clarity that Hashem will send you. Everybody has their moments of inspiration. He's already anticipating your inspirational moments. And he's already up preparing that when the moment comes, that you have something that will bring you down from that moment. And we gave yesterday different examples of different uh, uh, strategies that he has of how he takes a person down even in a moment of clarity. One of, the, one of his strategies is fear. Pahad. Fear of the unknown. One of the strategies of the Yetzirah, when a person has inspiration, he's inspired to do something, inspired to learn, inspired to do more in his life, and he's inspired to get involved in something. One of his strongest weapons is to instill fear in the person. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown means he makes you very comfortable before, ahead of time already he's doing this. He makes you very comfortable in your skin, in your surroundings. He makes you comfortable in your lifestyle. Now, comfortable doesn't mean that you're happy. People sometimes confuse the two. A person can be comfortable in his lifestyle, but not happy in it. Does that make sense? Comfort that we're talking about isn't the comfort of a couch. It's the comfort of the comfort that we're talking about is called the comfort of predictability, of things being predictable. There's a certain comfort in life, even if it's miserable, the life, even if it's miserable, there's a certain comfort of things that are predictable. You know what's going to happen in the morning. It might be rough, 
but at least you know what's coming. When a person is in a place of things that are predictable, he feels comfortable, even if it's painful. It's interesting. But you understand what I'm saying? Now, a person can be in a very bad place in his marriage. Right? And it could be he needs to make changes. But the changes will put him at risk. The risk of what? Of not being predictable. He never lived in this marriage doing this. He never not did that. So now you're in the unknown. It could be a marriage. It could be, take, take Shabbat. I like to use Shabbat as a very simple example. I hope you know that when I use Shabbat, it means a million other things. A person, even if his, even if his week isn't doing that great, and not having Shabbat is one of the reasons, because anyone who keeps Shabbat understands how awesome Shabbat is for the previous week and for the coming week. A person who doesn't have Shabbat has all different issues. But at least it's comfortable because he knows what his Shabbat feels like. Now that he's thinking, he's inspired to keep Shabbat the right way, it's scary. What happens when you keep Shabbat with all of its halachot from beginning to end? The ones that you love and the ones that you may not love. It's scary. Where is the fear? It's the fear of the unknown. This is the work of the Yetzirah to make us comfortable in what we know and therefore that comfort makes us afraid to jump into something that is beautiful because we're not sure what's going to happen. Now in reality I want to tell you something very important. And you should never forget this. There are things in life that you can know ahead of time. Someone could tell you what's going to happen. You yourself are experienced to know what's going to happen. It's sometimes possible to predict the future, not as a prophet, not prophecy. Experience. You just know what's going to happen if someone does this. You just know it, right? It's very possible for the human mind to predict the future based on what is happening today. But it's impossible for the human to feel the future. One more time. It is possible for the human mind to know What's going to happen in the future? So even though I'm sitting today 
it's a Wednesday morning, something happened right now, I can predict what Wednesday night is going to happen. That's when it comes to intellect. But when it comes to feelings, it's not possible for a human to feel something that didn't happen yet. Even if you tell him about it, even if you describe the feeling, it's not possible to feel something that's happening in the future. And you say, well, what am I talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Let's say I tell you, you're not Shomer Shabbat, or you're not Shomer Shabbat the right way. And I tell you, listen to me. Shabbat feels awesome. But you got to do it the way I'm telling you. You got to follow the script from beginning to end. Don't chop it up. Don't take your knife and start chopping and taking what you like and what you don't like you throw out. Don't do that. Give me your Shabbat and let me tell you what you're supposed to do from beginning to end and follow it. And I guarantee you that you're going to feel something very special. There's no way that person couldn't, even if you described what that special is and you did your best to put it in pictures for the guy, he will not be able to really connect to it until he feels it. You can't experience something in the future. You can know something intellectually about the future, but you can't feel what that feels like. By the way, that is a very important part of free choice. That's, that's not done by accident. Hashem did that. He doesn't allow us to feel what we will feel in the future. Could you imagine someone who didn't keep Shabbat was able to feel what Shabbat will do for him in the future? Who wouldn't keep Shabbat? You have to be out of your mind. Not to keep Shabbat. I saw last night a guy learning here. He told me, I don't understand how I used to not learn every night. I don't know. I don't understand. He says, the learning that I come, it just raises not only my day, but it raises my night. It's a whole different person that I am. Now, before he started learning, he did not have that feeling. Imagine he did. Who would not come to learn every night? It's not by accident that Hashem doesn't allow us to feel the great things of the future or even the terrible things of the future. Doesn't allow us to feel the pain of the future or the pleasure of the future. Intellectually, He did allow us Look at the chokhmah of the creator of the world. Look at the amazing wisdom of how everything was built with such precise beauty to give us the ability to live life to the utmost. He allowed us to see the future intellectually because that doesn't affect our free choice. Actually, it helps us make good decisions but doesn't stop our free choice. But he stopped it by emotion. That much, I'm not letting you feel. Because then there's a no, it's a no-brainer. Follow? 
and this becomes one of the tools of the Yetzir Hara. A guy is inspired intellectually to keep Shabbat. Someone spoke to his brain and he sees, wait, there's something maybe special here. Something great over here. Again, I use Shabbat as an example. But since he can't feel it, so there's a fear factor. What's the fear factor? I now have comfort in being predictable. I know what this is. I don't feel what's coming. I don't know what that feels like. So there's a fear of jumping in to something that you don't yet feel. The Yetzirah uses that weapon in a very, very powerful way. He will make you afraid of taking the next step, even though if it sounds right to you. Wait one second. The creator of the world says that's what you should be doing once a week. You're going to argue with him? You don't believe what he says? You're smarter than him? He says, don't eat that. It's not good for you. You're going to argue with him? Now, I once had a conversation with somebody. And, you know, he was one of those people that really had, I would say, vision of the right things in his head. But just can't get himself to do it. So I told him, I said, I don't understand you. I said, how many Shabbats do you get in your life? Hopefully you live a hundred years. How many Shabbats do you get in a hundred years? Huh? Five thousand? Five thousand Shabbats. I said five thousand Shabbatot could be awesome for you. I said, wouldn't you try it once? Isn't it worth it to try a Shabbat once? You know how many people know better but won't even try it one time? You won't try it one time and doing it right once from beginning to end? Isn't it worth? You know that it makes sense that if the Creator says this is the guide of a great day, it's going to change your life. So at least try it. How would you not try it? The answer is the Yetzirah is so powerful in this area. So powerful. Again, I say Shabbat. Please forgive me. It's an example of thousands of things in our lives that can use an upgrade. The way we talk, the way we act, the way we dress, the way we eat, the way we... Many things. The way we raise our children. Many, many things. The Yetzirah will make you uncomfortable for even the first step. It makes it very scary for you. And he uses this tool that he has. Since you don't feel the future and you do feel your comfort, that jump from the outside of the pool to the pool is a little scary just for the moment until you hit the water. That same fear of being comfortable is going to stop you for the rest of your life not to do things that will be better for you. I'm going to give you an example 
of what I spoke about today. By the way, just for the record, the fear has to be so strong that even you won't do it once. There's very little things you could imagine in the regular world, not in the spiritual world, that you wouldn't try once. You'd buy a ticket or a lottery one time for the chance, for the chance of one in a trillion that you'll win. So you'll buy it. What's the big deal? How many things will you do in your life? You'll invest money, even though, yeah, no, hey, you might make money. You'll try a new job. You, you will do things in life. But when it comes to spiritual, he makes it super scary. Even for one time. Why? Even for one time. Many things in life we're scared to do, but at least we'll try it. Take it slowly. But in spirituality, the fight is just for the one time. Why? Because once you get into the one time, then you feel it. Now it's your feelings. And once you feel it, it's a no-brainer. You keep Shabbat one time, and it's a real Shabbat, it's a no-brainer. You learn Torah once the right way. You sit down and learn for an hour or two. You're going to feel something very different. So he's got to get you on the one time. I keep saying the right way, by the way. You understand why? Because many people do things the wrong way and say, but I tried that. You didn't do it. Now, Parashat Va'era has something so beautiful. I would save it when we learn Parashat, but since it's on the subject, such a beauty. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to go and tell the Jewish people the following message. Listen to this message. I'm not going to go through all of it because it's not so relevant for us right this second. But I'm going to take the most important part. He says, tell them. Now imagine, they're, they're slaves in Egypt. He says, tell them. Ani Hashem. Send them a message. I am God. Vehotseti etchem. I'm going to take you out mitahat from under sivlet mitzrayim the burdens of Egypt. Egypt has many burdens on the Jewish people. I'm going to take you from under the burdens. You're right now under the burdens. I'm going to take you out from the burdens. Nice, beautiful. And then he says, I'm going to take you to be my nation. I'm going to be your God. Next pasuk. Vidatem. And when I take you out, you're going to know. Ki ani Adonai Elohechem. Right now you don't know me. You ever hear people say that each other? Right now you don't know me. But after this deal, you'll know who I am. So he says to them, I'm going to take you from the burdens of Egypt. And when you go out, Vidatem, you're going to know, Ki ani Adonai Elohechem. You're going to know, I am Hashem, your creator, your God. And you're going to know that I am the one that took you out. From the burdens of Egypt. So one more time. I'm going to take you out from the burdens of Egypt. And when I take you out, you're going to know I took you out from the burdens of Egypt. So twice in these two Pesukim, the burdens of Egypt are mentioned. First, 
I'm going to take you from the burdens of Egypt and you're going to know that I'm the one who took you out from the burdens of Egypt. The word burdens in Hebrew is tzivlot. The word tzivlot in Hebrew is supposed to be spelled samach, bet, lamed, vav, tab. Tzivlot. But if you look in the Torah, when it says, I'm going to take you from the sivlot, the burdens of Egypt, it's missing a vav. It says, mitahat sivlat. We don't read it sivlat. We read it sivlot. We put a dot next to the lamed. We say sivlot. But really, there's a missing vav. Sivlat. The difference between sivlat and sivlot is that sivlat is one burden. Sivlot is plural. At least two burdens. Interesting. Why does the Torah write it in singular when we say it in plural? Were there one burden in Egypt? Or more than one burden? Or two burdens? The way we read it sounds like two burdens. The way we, it's, it's written in the Torah is one burden. What's interesting is, when you go to the second time he says it, and then you're going to know that I took you from the burdens of Egypt, Sivlot, here, interesting, you have the Vav. Sivlot is spelled the way we read it. Samach, Bet, Lamed, Vav, Tav. What, what? Here it's not written singular. It's written plural. We say it plural. What happened? What is going on here? Let me tell you what's going on. Is that the Jewish people in Egypt had two burdens that were very much affecting their life. One burden is the labor, the slavery, the physical pain that they were suffering on a day-to-day -day basis. That was a major burden to be a slave in Egypt. But they also had a spiritual burden. They were very much affected by the Tum'ah of the Egyptians. They were not in a very good place spiritually. That was also a burden. They were not in a good place. So they weren't in a good place physically, and they weren't in a good place spiritually. That's the reality. But if you would ask a Jew in Egypt, tell me, you have any problems in your life? Any issues that you need help with? He'd say, yes. Sivlat. Oh, this burden of being a slave, it's impossible. Being a slave to Paro, impossible. Any other burden you have in Egypt? No. Everything else is fine. Everything else is perfect. If I would just be not a slave, everything else would be perfect. How many burdens does the Jew in Egypt think he has? One. Sivlat. It's written one. But we read it two. Because in reality, there are two burdens. So we read it the way it is, 
but we write it the way they think it is. That's why when the Jewish people cry to Hashem, right? Look what it says in the previous parasha, the one we're going to read this week, Shemot. It says, Vayeanehu bene Yisrael. When they cried, they, they felt anehu means they were was it was desperate for them. Their prayer went to Hashem. They were screaming. What were they crying for? What were they praying for? They were screaming. Their prayer went to Hashem. It reached. From the work. The burden they felt was the work. Hashem heard their cry. Hashem remembered his covenant with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Means. He remembered how spiritually high they're supposed to be. Vayar Elohim et b'nei Yisrael. And he saw the way they are. That they totally forgot where their spiritual level is supposed to be. Totally. They're only crying for avodah. Vayeda Elohim. Hashem understood. It is a very dangerous place. They're almost losing the spirituality. They're so lost that they don't even feel lost. When a guy is so lost, he doesn't feel lost, you have to try to help him. But then Hashem says, when I take you out of Mitzrayim and I'm going to be your God, I'm going to give you the Torah, I'm going to give you the mitzvot, What's going to happen? You're going to know that I took you out of Sivlot. Not only I'm going to take you, not only I'm going to know I took you out from physical and spiritual. You're going to know that. You're going to know, you're going to look back and say, oh my goodness, we didn't have just one problem in Egypt. We had a major problem in Egypt. We had a spiritual problem, but we didn't know about it. They only found out about their spiritual problem in the past. When did they realize that? When they experienced the salvation of the spiritual kind. So again, in the physical, a person feels the pain they're in. But spiritual, you could be spiritually suffering in your life. You could be spiritually suffering. On many levels, and you will not realize it. When will you realize you're in pain? When you feel the salvation, which you could only feel when you actually have it. That's why the night of Pesach, every person here, we eat matzah, which is the bread, the bread of salvation, the bread of independence, the bread of freedom. We had to leave Mitzrayim quickly 
There's no time for the dough to rise. The salvation came very quickly. So matzah is the bread of freedom. And we eat maror, which is the bitter herbs to remind us of the bitter times. But interestingly enough, when we sit down to do this on Lel Pesach, we follow the direction of the Torah and we eat first matzah, the bread of freedom, and then we eat maror. Like the Pasuk says, Al matzot umrorim yochlu. The Korban Pesach has to be here with matzah and then maror. What an odd order that is. Maror happened first. First we were bitter, then we went free. How come we eat the matzah and then the maror? The answer is, until you taste freedom, you don't even imagine what freedom is. You didn't, they didn't know how bitter they were spiritually until they tasted freedom. You have no idea what Shabbat lacking in your life is doing for you. You have no idea how much is affecting your life. You have no clue. You are shut down from that feeling. You have to be, otherwise there's no free choice. And the answer I used it against you. Are you ready for your change your comfort zone? He won't, let, he, won't let, he won't let you do it even once. Other things he'll let you do once. Jump in the water just one time. See how it feels. But to try something spiritually, not even once. And even if you go and succeed doing it once, he'll convince you to do it in such a half crooked way that it's not even go trying it. You will never feel what you're missing when you didn't keep Shabbat. You will never feel it until you keep Shabbat properly. When you keep Shabbat properly, then you'll look back and say, Oh my goodness, I was suffering all these years. I never realized what I was missing. I never realized that this changes that. This is the state of a human being on this planet. Everybody, an alcoholic, he's in pain, he's suffering. But there's one thing that he's comfortable in, is he knows exactly what's going to happen. It's comfort of being predictable. The unknown, scary. Am I missing something that I'm doing this? I don't know. I never felt it. When does the alcoholic realize the pain? When he feels the freedom. When he feels the freedom, he says, what was I doing? Isn't that crazy? Destroyed my life. Only freedom can make you feel what it was like in the pain as you were going through it and you didn't feel it. It's an amazing thing. A person could feel in pain spiritually but be numb to it. Numb. He could, he could really be suffering because Shabbat on his life, but he won't realize where it's coming from. In physical, when you suffer, you know where it's coming from. If you got a cut on your hand, you know what you got to fix. If you know something is bothering you in your stomach, you know what you got to do. In the physical world, when you feel the pain... 
you also know where the suffering is from. But in the spiritual world, and again for good reason, you could be in pain in your life, but not realize where it's coming from. The lack of a Shabbat could be causing you so much pain, and you don't realize. You just don't know. You feel pain, you feel something is not right. You know you're not flying happy. You know not everything is going right in your life, but you'll never know where it's coming from. It has to be that way. If you knew where it was coming from, then of course you go fix it. You'll never know. Kashrut, you'll never know how much it's doing to your life. You'll never know. You'll never know what the lack of tzedakah is doing to your life. You'll never know what your lashorah is doing in your life. You'll never know until you stop and do it right. And only then will you look back and say, oh my goodness, I had this burden on my head the whole time. I didn't know. I knew there was something not right. I knew I didn't feel right. I knew I didn't feel good. I didn't know where it was coming from. Again, for today, we learned another strategy of the Yetzirah. The strategy is, as you're inspired intellectually to do something, or at least to try something. You're inspired intellectually. Your emotion isn't there with you in your intellect. Because your emotion isn't there, so you don't feel what your intellect is telling you. And the only feeling you have is what you have today. And even if it's not so great, but there's one thing good about it, is that it's predictable. I know where it is. And taking the next step is going to make it not so comfortable, scary, it's a risk. How am I going to feel when I do that? Even if I know it's right, how am I going to feel? How's it going to work? I don't know. Says the Yetzirah to you, scary, don't jump in. He'll tell you scary for 5,000 Shabbat. Just try it once. Doesn't it make sense? Do it once right. He will make sure he goes all out that you don't even try it one time. Because even that one time brings you the feeling and the feeling is all it takes for you to realize, hey, I'm messing up. And once you realize Shabbat was a mistake, then you'll realize that Kashru was a mistake and you'll realize that you're not learning is a mistake and you'll realize that this is also a mistake. The Yetzirah fights you for the first time because he knows if you felt it, it's impossible for it not to go back. So therefore, a person has to be aware. You have to be aware. When you're inspired intellectually, be aware of what the fight that's coming. It's going to be the fight of feeling there's a risk. Risking my comfort. I know what it is now. I don't know what it is tomorrow. I don't know what that feels like. It's hard for me. And that was the story with the Miraglim. The Miraglim. They messed up in a very big way. Why? Because where they were, they were very comfortable. They were the leaders. Everybody was in close range. You could see everybody. Everyone was in your clutch, in your hand. Now you go into Israel. What's going to happen there? 
Everyone's got their own acre. Everyone's got their own land. They're all over the place. What's going to happen? Unpredictable. When things are unpredictable, there's a certain fear that a person has to jump in. And it was so big, that fear, that they opted out. You have to understand that. The fear that you have to know in life, when things make sense intellectually, and things make sense and you see the light, expect this fear factor, and you got to just jump in. Because you can only feel it when you jump in. I'm actually reminded of a story that I heard a few months ago from the person himself, uh, a man by the name of Lior, who grew up as a secular Jew in Israel and went through the system in Israel, going to school, and then ended up in the army. And he had dreams of becoming this very wealthy person. And he ended up moving to America after the army. And then finally ended up in New York. And uh, job after job, he continued to rise and he became a very successful businessman. He was running a very large cosmetic company. And he had a very big apartment in the Sky Building and uh, living the life uh, that he imagined when he was younger, living the dream. And uh, he had no connection to religion, of course, as he didn't grow up with it. And uh, he was living in New York and he had a brother living in Israel who had become a Baal Teshuvah and became more observant. And his brother from time to time would speak to him to try to take on a mitzvah here, a mitzvah there. He says that when his brother would tell him that, he would kind of respectfully laugh inside about how his brother living in Israel, who's not successful in business, and he's going to tell him how to live life, it was comical to him. And one time they had a conversation on the phone, and his brother convinced him just to keep one Shabbat. Just one Shabbat, but the Shabbat the right way. And for, for some reason or another, he agreed. And uh, he, once he took that commitment, he wanted to do one Shabbat. He called up one of his friends in New York, uh, an observant Shabbat, uh, observant Jew, and uh, he told him, so, you know, how do I keep the Shabbat? Where do I buy candles from? And uh, he asked him, why do you want to know? And he explained to him, he has to keep this one Shabbat because he promised his brother in Israel. He said, well, you know, you really can't keep Shabbat on your own. You don't know anything. He says, uh, you know, why don't you keep Shabbat with me? He says, what, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm going for Shabbat to a family in Queens. And uh, why don't you come and join us? He says, you know what? Just put on your suit. Meet me at 3 o'clock at, uh, at the train station. And uh, we'll go together. So, so it was. And they... Uh, they met in Columbia Circle and he, they went off to this family and spent Shabbat there. And uh, it's the first Shabbat in his life. He's putting on his suit, he put away his phone, all the normal things he's usually involved in. Obviously, he's not doing that this Shabbat. And he goes, this thing first Friday night, he goes to shul. And, you know, he's looking at his watch. It's already half hour, another 23 and a half hours. He's counting down the time. Doesn't understand what this Shabbat's all about. Then he goes and 
the Friday night table and he's sitting with the family and the children and the discussions and the singing and the food and the just the calmness and the happiness and there's no phone, nobody has the nobody has anything to do except just sit with each other and enjoy and talk the Torah and all different ideas. The kids came home from brought home from school and so on. So great, what an atmosphere. And all of a sudden he's seeing something, he's feeling something he never felt or saw in his life. Next morning, after a good night's sleep, he woke up, went to shul again. The rabbi had a class. It was a great class, a great idea. He was, was intrigued. He came home and another meal, another, another whole round of discussions, uh, singing. Uh, he, he went to lay down a little bit. He took a little nap, came back, went to shul again. The rabbi spoke again. Said, Ashlishit, very intriguing, very beautiful. He said, by the time Shabbat ended, they didn't have dalah. And he's all of a sudden realizing the Shabbat thing is, wow, that's a Shabbat. He, he, he filled up his soul, maybe for the first time in his life. He says he went back home that night and he's walking the streets of Manhattan back to his apartment with his suit, felt so out of place what was going on there. I mean, he was part of all that for years and now he's looking at it and like it doesn't, it didn't talk to him anymore. That one Shabbat just made him feel something so pure, so beautiful. And that night, he went on and tried to find some Torah classes online. He, find, he found the rabbi, Rabbi Zamir Cohen from Israel in Hebrew, and he heard class after class. He said he spent the next three days just trying to learn more, to purify his pure soul. He felt something pure about his soul. And... The rest is history. He changed his life. Now, that story happened with Lior. It's happened, I can't say from personal experience, I know hundreds of people, but I'm sure hundreds of thousands of people experienced that one Shabbat and realized, whoa. Now, this Lior did it more or less by accident, and when it happens that way, it's a gift. But for most people, they have to actually decide to do it. But like we said, when you feel it, you understand what it is so much more than when you hear about it. Have a wonderful day.